So let me just share with you real quick. It's exciting, isn't it, to be a part of a growing church? Amen? Whoa, that's kind of weak. Let's try that again. Man, that was weak. We got chili today and hay rides and all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't even know what's going on today, but it's going to be fun, right? And so, uh, good morning. All right, it's good to be and exciting to be a part of a growing church. Amen, right? And so part of that, uh, you've heard me say this for the last 10 years or, or so, a growing church is always in transition, right? Growing things aren't static. And so um, one of the things that I want to encourage, not that I've seen anyone do this, but um, oftentimes we have folks that come in and our ushers are working like um, around the clock, right, to make sure that everyone has a seat. And so um, if you're on that, like these seats right here, right, this, the, this row right here, where Mike, Mike Carlson, raise your hand, raise your hand. That row, right, and then this row over here, Kristen, raise your hand, right, Eli, Eli, raise your hand. That's my man right there, Eli, raise your hand. Those are like the most coveted seats in the entire church, right? And if you want those seats to be reserved for you, we can do that for the down payment of 10000 a year, right? We'll do that. We'll save those seats for you, um, and that we'll lock, your, we'll lock it in, right? Otherwise, if an usher asks you to move to the center, please do that because we're trying to fit in as many people as we can. Uh, we're sitting people in the back. We're trying to uh, load in as many people as we can, and uh, we're, we're excited about what God is doing. We're praying about um, the potential uh, down the road of going to two services, but we're trying to hold off as long as we can because we just love the feel of having the church family together. Amen? And so um, please work with us on that. And I think one of the ways that you can be a good neighbor, right? We talked about this last week. Who's your closest neighbor? Well, the person sitting next to you, right? So scoot over and make room for uh, those that might not have a seat. And uh, we want to be good neighbors and, and, and show God's grace in that. I mean, think about it. If you're a follower of Christ and someone walks in and like, hey, can I have this seat? And you're like, really? You should have gotten here earlier. I mean, that's totally Christian, right? And you laugh because that's how you are. I see you sometimes. They should have gotten here earlier. Don't they know I got here 30 minutes early just so I could have this seat? Well, bless you, all right? Um, not everyone has that. I, I can do that. I can get places 30 minutes earlier. Um, that's just because I leave my wife at home with the kids. But if you got kids, I'm just being honest. If you've got kids, like, it's a train wreck. Like, you're just lucky you got here today. Amen? And so um, so we're praising God for that. Now, this morning we're in the book of James, and we're talking about how to neighbor. And the book of James exposes the reality that you can be religious, right, and be in church and not really know Jesus. That, that's essentially what James is saying in this entire book, is that, that you can have religion, and you can be in church, but you don't really know Jesus. You don't really have a relationship with him. And it strikes to the heart of what it means to have an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, in many ways, James is that kind of rubber meets the road book that, that kind of uh, evidences the life of and the marks of a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you this morning, it's super, com- it's super easy to get comfortable in life or to have your own problems and forget about those that are without hope. It's easy to do that. You might be here this morning and, and maybe you've gotten like a diagnosis for some type of illness or your kids, it just seems like your kids are perpetually sick or maybe you uh, lost your job or, or there's some conflict, some, something discouraging going on in your life right now. And uh, I, wanna, I want you to understand that, that suffering does not conflict with your calling, okay? Please jot that down today. Suffering does not conflict with your calling. And James talks about that in James chapter 1, we don't time it with, and we're going to exegete that this morning, but in James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joys, brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials, for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That means endurance. 
or perseverance, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, uh, lacking in nothing. And so God, in your difficulty and in your problems, is, 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 is leveraging your life to be able to be a blessing to others. Can I get an amen on that? So whatever, whatever, whatever difficulty, whatever, whatever thing is, is going on in your life right now, God is, God is developing you, and he's, he's conforming you to his image so that you can be a good neighbor, so that you can empathize with other people, so that you can recognize the hopeless in the world, and so that you can see those who are vulnerable. And, and isn't that what the kingdom's all about? The kingdom is about broken people leading broken people to the one who can put things back together again, and his name is Jesus. That's what we do. And some people, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to this idea of faith, have prayed a prayer and they have really no love for Christ. They have no evidence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They, 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 they have no love for the things that Jesus loves. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And you know, what James is saying in this passage of Scripture, in this particular text that we're reading today, that it's, it's very easy for us to deceive ourselves. And James says, and he states in this text, that you can be deceived. And, and I want you to look at that this morning in verse 22. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, do you get that today? You know, it's possible to be deceived into believing that you actually are a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just being honest with you today. And I know for some of you this morning, you're like, whoa, man, like I prayed when I was five. And, you know, I asked Jesus in my heart. And, and, I, and I believe in God and, you know, all that stuff. But James is saying, look, even the devils believe, right? Faith without works is useless. It's in vain. And so the litmus test, where the rubber meets the road, is those who know love and are pursuing Jesus are obedient to his word. They truly follow Christ. And see, here's the thing. The hard truth is, is that when we bring ourselves under, the, under God's word, it transforms us so that our lives impi- impact the lives of those who are in need of compassion. I mean, that's really kind of what we're talking about today. When we bring ourselves under God's word, that's what James is going to talk about this morning, it transforms us so that our lives impact the lives of those in need of compassion. And so today, we want to discuss the power of God's word to transform us into people who care about the hopeless and the vulnerable. And so what we want to do in neighboring is talk about orphans. Now, in 2014, 415,129 children were in foster care. It's almost half a million children that are in foster care. And um, uh, uh, 107,918 were were waiting to be adopted. So over 100,000 children waiting to be adopted. I didn't know this. This is kind of crazy. 250,000 kids entered foster care every single year. There's 153 million orphans in the world, uh, globally speaking. And I didn't know this, but November, so this kind of is a great month to do this, uh, leading into November, but November is National Adoption Month. You know, they have a day for everything. Like, there's Donut Day, right? I mean, the the seemingly insignificant things that we celebrate and the things that we are uh, National Donut Awareness Day, like, you need to be aware of donuts. Like, you do, right? I get you get a pass on Krispy Kremes, but like most donuts, really. But there are some things that need to be brought to our attention. attention. And that's why I said earlier, it's easy to get comfortable in your life and to think everything is okay in your life. Or it's easy to say, okay, I've got my own problems, and so I can't worry about someone else's problems. 
But the reality is, is that the word of God will move us from a place of comfort to a place of contributing to the kingdom of God. The word of God will move us from a place of difficulty to a place of dependence where we can serve God in that difficulty and put his grace and the gospel on display so that others are drawn to the beauty of Jesus Christ. So getting involved in adoption is one of the clearest ways to to demonstrate and live out the gospel, both in the child's life and to display to a watching world what is most valuable to us as Christians. And I think there's a there's a, 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 a misnomer in our culture today, and we need, to, we need to rescue our culture from what they think that Christians really value. And I think in a lot of circles, people think that they know what Christians are against, but they don't know what we're for, right? And we want to put on display that as, a, as the people of God, we care about those who are vulnerable. We care for those who are without hope. Adoption and child welfare should be viewed like the Great Commission, and we talk about that a lot around here. And not everyone's called to go to the mission field, but every single one of us is called to make disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Not everyone's going to go to the mission field. Not everyone's called into the Great Commission in the sense that we'll go to a foreign field, but every single one of us is called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, in the same way, Not everyone's called to adopt, but we are called to take care of the least vulnerable in the world. And orphans are among the least of these. These are the ones that Jesus wants us to care for. Now I want you to look in the text this morning because if we're going to care for orphans, it's going to begin with an authenticity that transforms. An authenticity that transforms. And we see that in verses 22 through 25. James clearly states that here's our people who deceive themselves. He goes, in verse 22, I read it, doers of the word, not hearers only, listen, deceiving yourselves. Now listen, it's super possible if you come into church week in and week out, and there's no, there's no change, there's no transformation in your life, you need to evaluate, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I just coming to church to consume religious services or goods? Or am I really truly seeking to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ and to live out, live out my life? for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of myself. Any response to the word other than faithful, unqualified obedience is self-deceptive. In mathematics, the meaning of that is called a miscalculation. Now, we, take, we make serious miscalculation when we hear the word. Listen, we make a serious miscalculation when we hear the word and we don't obey it in our lives. Now, any response to the gospel does, that does not include obedience. Listen to this. Any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is self-deception. Now think, let that, let, that, let that resonate with your soul for just a moment. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, but that does mean that potentially you're allowing your heart to be hardened to the truths of the Word of God. That means that you might be a little indifferent to the things that God might be calling you into. It might mean that you're ignoring some of the needs in our community or some of the needs in our church or uh, some of the things that God might be calling you into. And so uh, the point being is that any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is a form of self-deception. Now, the purpose of the word of God, this is a big point here today. The purpose of the word of God is not information, it's transformation. The purpose of the word of God is not information, it's transformation. I love what A.W. Tozer said many years ago. He said, new worlds will arise out of the religious mists when we approach the, the word not as a book that was once spoken, but as a book which is now speaking. 
Now, when I come to the Word of God and I read my Bible nearly every morning, when I open the book, guess what? God wants to speak to me. When I come into church, guess what? God wants to speak to me. When I go to a Sunday school class or an adult Bible fellowship or I'm sitting in growth group and someone opens the Word and they share a word with me, guess what? That is God speaking to me. And some would say, man, I just don't hear God in my life. Well, that might be because your Bible's closed and your heart's not open to the truth that's in it. So we've got to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to the uh, power of God's Word to transform us. Now, the Word of God should transform our hearts. Christians don't need more information. They need more obedience. And this is what makes for authenticity. You see, transformation happens when we open our, hi- our hearts and our lives uh, to God's Word to examine our sinfulness in areas of disobedience. And I want to ask you this morning, and specifically on this topic, Are you open to what God needs to say to you this morning? Is your heart open to that? Is your life open to that? Is your mind mind ready to be informed by that? And we can all have opinions, and we most of us do, but our opinions and our our lives and our ideologies, they must be informed by and shaped by the Word of God. Nothing more, nothing less. Your experience is not enough to inform your life. In fact, it's faulty in many ways. The Word of God, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, is sure and sufficient and inerrant in every way, and it should inform our lives and our decisions. So authenticity means that I'm asking this question, is my life aligned with the Word of God? Is my life aligned with the Word of God? That's what makes us Christians. That's what makes us followers of Jesus Christ. That's what makes our faith authentic. And if we truly want to change the world and impact those around us, We're going to be asking this question on a regular basis, and that is this, is my life aligned with the Word of God? The Bible calls for a response. That's why we have an invitation every week. That's why I open up these altars so people can come and pray, and when God speaks to them, they can come and talk to God, and they can move forward in their faith journey, right? We do that because the Word of God calls for a response. We don't come to church and we're just like, man, that was good, and then we just leave, right? You just don't do that if you're truly following Jesus Christ. If you truly want to align your life with the Word of God, you hear it, and you're like, hmm, that's a hard truth, but I'm going to follow Jesus anyways. Jesus, Jesus drew a crowd, and when he gave them the hard truths, they said, this is a hard saying. The, the, the truth in the Word of God, it's, they're hard sayings, but those of us who know, love, and follow Jesus, we lean in instead of lean out. Authenticity demands that we evaluate our response to what we hear. Now listen, I'm a gospel guy. I want to say to you this morning, it's not legalism to call people to obedience. And we're good at making excuses and we're good at rationalizing our disobedience and say, well, you know, my husband or my wife or my kids or my, my boss or my job or my finances or, you know, I'm sick right now or I'm this or I'm that or if you knew my, my situation, oh man, we can come up with 15 different excuses, right? We're all good at this and we rationalize in so many ways. But when you truly desire to follow Jesus Christ and you have a faith that's authentic, man, you just allow the Word of God to inform your life. You allow the Word of God to transform your heart. You allow it to change you from the inside out and build the kind of character that God wants you to have. Now, as a church, that's why we offer two different venues for you to study God's Word. We offer adult Bible fellowships uh, on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. And we have a place for the kids to come and learn about Christ and learn about the gospel. And we spend about 45 minutes on Sunday mornings going deeper into the Word of God. Now, throughout the week, we also offer growth groups. And this is where we believe that community happens. And this is where we believe that 
that ministry happens, and we believe that, that the application of the Word of God. So, and I know there's, there's, everybody wants to, I want this Bible study, I want that Bible study, and Bible studies are good. God wants us to obey. God wants us to move from a place of information to a place of transformation to a place of obedience. So most of us, you know more Bible than you'll ever obey. And I know sometimes you get frustrated when the pastor preached on that a few months ago. If we'd start doing the things that God wants us to do, I'll move on to some new subjects. Can I get an amen? Right? Hey, we don't need more information. We need obedience. And that's why we, we have constructed our growth groups in such a way that we, we meet throughout the week so that we can apply the truths that we heard on Sunday. And then we, we, we even get smaller than that, even within the groups. And we talk about accountability and what are my action steps this week? And how can I apply this to my life? And hey, how did you la- do last week with your action steps and with uh, applying the word of God? Because we can come to church and we can hear the word and we can, we can um, receive the word, but we can leave and never do anything with it. And God help us. God help us to not just come and hear and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're something that we're not. But it continues with an abiding that obeys. It's an abiding that obeys. In verse 25, I love this. He goes, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and preserves being no here, he forgets, but a doer who acts, this guy's going to be blessed. This man will be blessed in his doing. James challenges you and me to preserve in the word to be blessed in our calling. He's challenging. I love that word preserve. It means to stoop down and to look at. It means to pause and to consider. It means to look at it from every single angle. I, I heard a message this week, or I heard a quote from a message this week that, that speed is dangerous to abiding. Now, I love my wife, and, and I love spending time with her, but she can tell when I'm not listening to her. Can I get an amen on that? Like, she knows. She knows that. And she's just like, well, I'll talk to you later. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're talking to me now. Well, you're not listening. All right, I get it, right? Like, I, I get it. And then sometimes I'm in a hurry, and i got to do things, and, and I'm not focused on her. That does not create intimacy. But when she has my full attention and my phone's away and we're out or we're dialed into each other and there's no distractions, there's nothing that we have to do and I set that side of time for her, intimacy is fostered. Abiding happens with her and I. And the same thing it is with God. We need to kind of get, I hate the word quiet time, you know, quiet time or, you know, all that stuff. We need time to just lean into God. We need time to get into the word of God. We need time to persevere in the word. We need a, a time to, to, to allow the word to inform us and to shape us and to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. He says in this passage, the perfect law, we look into the sufficient and errant and comprehensive word of God that rescues us from the bondage of sin and equips us for the mission of God. You know what you need every morning before you go anywhere or talk to anyone? You need to get into the sufficient and errant and comprehensive word of God so that God can shape you and inform you on what you need to do that day and equip you for the mission of God. There's nothing in your life that you're facing right now that the word of God doesn't speak to and can't equip you for. Man, that's huge. And man, we want answers and we want more information and all we need to do is get along with God in his book and let the Holy Spirit empower us and shape us and mold us into his image so that we can do what he's called us to do so that we can follow him. He says, looks. He looks into the law of liberty. We dwell and we abide in the word and we take time to consider its truth and allow it to inform us and transform us at a heart level. 
And that's the thing. So many of us are good at making behavior modifications. So many of us are good at playing the religious game and bringing the Bible to church and throwing some money in the offering. We're good at playing the game. God wants to do something more in your life. He doesn't want you playing the religious game. He wants to change who you are fundamentally at the level of the heart, at the place where you're most broken, at the place where you've been most deceived. And the only thing that can change you and transform you is looking into the perfect law of liberty, looking into the mirror of God's word and seeing it reflect back on you where you need to change and grow and be more like Jesus Christ. We have a life, a heart, and a mind that's committed to the transforming word. We're not just concerned with bare facts, but divine truth and obedience. Now James, James here is speaking of the heart commitment to God's word. A half-hearted commitment to the word will not transform you, and it will not impact those around you. Now let me ask you, does your, does your life demonstrate this type of allegiance to the word of God? Now, I want to say this today. It might be a little scary to think about fostering an adoption. It might. I'll be honest with you. Um, my daughter, Brianna, uh, she's like super fired up today about um, uh, Safe Families being here this morning, and she's super excited about um, fostering an adoption. Um, I, I, I don't know that she gets the full uh, grip of what that means, right? My wife had to kind of explain some of that to her the other day. Um, I've had some reservations about it. If I'm just being honest, with you, bringing another child into our home and how that might disrupt things. And, um, you know, it's just, it's an inconvenience. There's so many things that, that go into that. And so adopting, just all cards on the table, fostering and adopting a child can be an incredibly difficult thing to consider. There's a cost emotionally, financially. There's a cost of your time. What if the kid is sick? Or what if he has emotional problems? What if he, needs spe- what if he or she needs special attention? Will it infringe upon my family and be difficult? But I want you to know this. The Word of God reminds us that God will empower those who follow Him and trust Him. I wouldn't know that, right? I wouldn't know that powerful truth apart from the Word of God. I wouldn't know that anywhere else other than leaning into the Word of God. I can tell you, as so many times in my life, there's been fear and there's been uncertainty and there's been um, a lack of understanding or a lack of wisdom. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. God, I'm facing this. God, I've got a 13-year-old girl. Thinks she knows everything. Don't know what to do with that. But guess what? His word does. You know, there's nothing in this life that we face that the word of God can't speak into. And here's the other thing. God can take our indifference and our apathy and our, 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 our ignorance of and our ignoring of the vulnerability and the hopelessness around us, and it can transform us into a people of compassion that truly make a difference. But again, you can't do that apart from the Word of God. You see, fear and uncertainty shouldn't hinder us from trusting God to do what He has called us to do in any area of life, because following the way of Jesus is always the priority. And followers of Jesus who have been gripped by the gospel and grace, they have a bias towards action. They see something and they're like, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this issue. I'm not okay with this injustice. I need to do something because as God has done for me, so I will do for others. I live from a disposition of grace and the gospel. And So for those of us who follow Christ, listen, for those of us who follow Christ, information isn't enough. 
Information isn't enough, and God help us to stop coming to church every week hoping that we learn something new. Oh man, gosh, help us to come to church and consider how can I be someone new? How can I be more like Christ? How can I see the world the way that he sees the world? How can I grow and change and, 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 and be confronted with the injustices and the, the brokenness in the world in which we live? Oh man, we got to get outside of our bubble and outside of our box and, and see the world the way that Jesus sees. And we can't see the word of God as a suggestion called to a place of allegiance. We live for a kingdom that is not our own. We're called to abide, to take time in the word so that it can transform us. Because when my heart is committed to Christ, listen to me, when my heart's committed to Christ, I'll see the, the hopeless, I'll see the poor, and I'll see the vulnerable. And I won't see them as an inconvenience, and I won't see them as an imposition. I won't see them as an infringement upon my lifestyle. And I'll seek to obey God and obey his commands, and I'll seek to serve him. I won't be content with just hearing when I've abided in the word of God. So we see that it's manifested in an action that impacts, an action that impacts. Now, I love what James goes on to say here. He says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's uh, religion is worthless. And that's a whole other message, like seriously, that I want to preach on another day. And we'll talk about what that means later. But he goes on in verse 27, and he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. It's crazy what he says. Pure religion, true religion, the way of Jesus is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. See, when our hearts and our lives have been informed by the word, we're, we are then in a position to make an impact. We're in a position to make a difference. Religion in this passage is an outward practice, a ceremonial public worship. It has to do with the external function of worship. But, but James is, is, is kind of inverting that, right? And James says in this passage, true religion has nothing to do with ceremonies, has nothing to do with temples, and it has nothing to do with special days. And not like special days like a chili cook-off, but ceremonial worship days, right? Special days, the pomp and circumstance, the game of religion. God says you're genuinely religious in the true sense of the word. Listen, when your life is marked by obedience, when your life is marked by love. True religion is manifested when your life is marked by obedience and when it's marked by love. You see, true religion has the eyes to see the hopeless and focus, and, and it has the focus to do something. True religion has the eyes to see the hopeless, to see the orphan, to see the widow. There's widows in this church that are lonely. There's a lady in our church right now. She's, she was married for, I think, 45 years. I mean, I just turned 40 this year. That's four decades. I'm not even old. I'm not. My knees hurt a little bit, but I'm not old. She was married for 45 years. And then her husband slipped out into eternity two years ago, and she's lonely. And she just needs someone to talk to. And it's the church's call to lean into those moments, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, so that she doesn't feel lonely, so that she doesn't feel forgotten, because that's the way of the kingdom, that's the way of Christ. But then also, considering orphans and foster care and children that don't have a home or a home situation that, 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 that is conducive to uh, emotional health and spiritual health. True religion, to sum it up, is demonstrating 
please note this. True religion is, 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 is uh, demonstrating love and compassion. Love and compassion. It's demonstrating love and compassion. He says to visit. He carries the idea of bringing love or bringing pity to someone. Man, as followers of Christ, I think sometimes our first response to the issues that we've been talking about this month, racism and loneliness and, and, and orphans, and we're going to talk about the poor empowered next week with Pastor Mike, our, our, our first response typically is that of, of judgment or criticism or, you know, if they were this way, they wouldn't be in this situation. Oh, man, God help us. Because if it weren't for the grace of God, there go I. Any one of us could find ourselves in these situations at any moment. Hey, hey, listen, you're just one phone call away from your entire life being completely wrecked. Someone calls and says, hey, your husband was in an accident. He didn't make it. Your doctor calls and says, hey, you've got cancer and you've got six months to live. I mean, on and on and on we could go. Some of you that are in this room today will not be here a year from now. And so we need to walk in the grace of God, recognizing that every moment we have in this life is a gift from God Almighty. And if God has gifted you with resources and God has gifted you with health, he has, he has, he has called us into the mission of God, which includes taking care of children who don't have a home. Children who don't, do not have a safe environment to be in. First John 3.17 uh, and verse 18 says this, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. James mentions two of the more marginalized people groups in the world, widows and orphans. They were particularly vulnerable in ancient times because for God, it was the widow and it was the orphan that was close to the heart of God. You, you know that today? I mean, I think some of us think that we're the ones that are close to, to God. Like, hey, man, I'm, I, I got saved. I'm, I'm one of the chosen ones. I'm on the varsity team. Man, if you got into the kingdom, it was the same way as everyone else, and that's through the foot of the cross. Every single one of us are broken sinners who need Jesus. And so God's always wanted his people, even going back into the Old Testament, to minister to the widow and the orphan. In Psalm 68, 5, it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Now get this. If you want to be like God, if you want to be like Jesus, you will be a father to the fatherless. Can I get an amen? You will protect those who don't have protection. In Deuteronomy 27, 19, cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all people shall say, Amen. In Jeremiah 7, 6 and 7, If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. You know what God's saying there? When he says, I will dwell with you, there's no greater blessing in all the world than the presence of God. Nothing compares to the manifest presence of God in our life. And so God says, if you'll take care of the widow, and if you'll take care of the orphan, you know what he's saying there? I'm going to bless you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reward you. And the reward is me. And so when, when we follow through and obey God's word, God draws near to us. And I don't know about you, but I need God more than anything in this world. I need him more than I need my next breath. And if I want his blessing and his presence in my life, I'm going to be involved in the things that he wants me to be involved in. 
several years ago, and I'll be honest with you, and this is a confession of sin. My wife and I had talked. We, were, we, we decided, you know, we're done having children. And um, I always had this philosophy, and it's probably an error in philosophy, and please don't send me emails this week. I love kids. I do. I do love kids. But my wife and I, we just decided, you know, we're going to have two kids. And I thought, one child for each parent, right? It's just manageable, right? And so, so I'm, I didn't feel the calling uh, of, of um, Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply the entire earth, you know? That just wasn't my calling. I, don't, I didn't want to be like the Duggars, you know, and 19 and count. Like, that just wasn't my, my thing. But she really, really loves kids, and she's very good with children. And I think I am too, right? Amen? Because I'm going to tell you after the service today, if your kid's carrying chili and I don't see a parent, like, might get disciplined. I'm just saying, right? I'm just kidding. And so some things happened in our life in that season, and, and, and I, I, uh, we just kind of put this whole conversation uh, on the shelf, but I got this book some from friends of ours that were missionaries that they adopted a child, and they had a miscarriage, and they adopted, and so um, they recommended this book by Russell Moore called Adopted for Life. I, I remember it clear as day, I'm sitting in Pearl Chrysler Dodge getting my oil changed, and I'm reading the first chapter, and as I'm reading that chapter of the book, I'm sitting in Pearl Chrysler Dodge, like, crying, right? Like, I'm like a grown man sitting there getting my oil changed, and I'm just weeping, because in this book, he talks about what it means to adopt, and, and the picture that it is of the gospel, and how, uh, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but how, how, how we were all homeless, and how we were all without hope, and God brought us in, Amen. God brought us in, and in his book, he says this. He says, there's a difference between inability and unwillingness. If you have the ability, do not let the discomfort and nuisance and even the pain of raising children who act out or need continuous and extensive physical care to prevent you from extending to them the same love Jesus Christ has extended to you. Now, friends, I want to tell you something. When God brought you into the family, right, he brought in somebody that was a little bit rugged. He brought in the riffraff, because I'm looking around the room today, and some of you like, I don't know how you got in, but you got in, right? And when God does that, he does that unconditionally in his love. And he treats us like his children, and he treats us as his children, and he shows us incredible love. You see, adoption is at the core of the gospel, because God's people will take care of others. I like what John Piper says. He says, the gospel is not a picture of adoption. Adoption is a picture of the gospel. God pursued us when we were helpless and hopeless. He called us to be, you get this? He called us to be his sons and to be his daughters. That's what God has called us into. I had a dad growing up. I'm thankful that my dad provided for our family. I'm thankful that he laid asphalt in the Florida sun at 100 degrees with 50% heart damage. But I remember growing up with a dad that was abusive. And I remember that my dad would hit my mom and my dad would curse my mom. And there would be times where I had to step into that situation and separate them to protect her. And no child should ever have to do that with their parent. And I remember as a kid just thinking to myself, man, I wish I just had a normal dad that would throw the ball with me and be nice to me and, and talk to me and not be angry all the time. And so when I hear that truth in the gospel, right, I'm reminded of the reality that my heavenly father is incredible. He loves me unconditionally. And he calls me his own. And he chose me. And he gave me his name. And he gave me eternal inheritance. And above all, he invites me. Get this, man. 
he invites me to call him Father. In Romans, we cry out, Abba, Father. Man, fostering an adoption or a picture of the gospel. That God took us in knowing how broken we are and how much of a nuisance we can be, right? Think about that for a minute. Are your kids a nuisance sometimes? Mine are. It's always at the worst possible time, like on my favorite TV show, right? Dad, 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 dad. Really? You can't wait? You know who does that? Kids do that. Children who feel loved and accepted, they do that. And even though I'm a nuisance to God, I can go to him and say, God, 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 do you, you, know, you know what's going on? For you? you get this? That's the gospel. And every single one of us in this room have had those moments where we've gone to God and we're like, God, 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 I don't know what's going on. And so what God is asking you and me to do is to do for others what he has done for us. Friends, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's, that's a, a wonderful picture of what God has done for us. We're not perfect, and we, we need constant attention, right? I need constant attention. I'm so glad that God is eternal, right? I'm glad that he's omnipresent, because I would be a wreck, right? So I want to ask you this morning, are you open to this potential? Now, we want to talk about adoption this morning. And I want you to know something. As individuals and as a church, we can't, we can't do everything, right? Half a million kids in, in, in foster care, 250,000 kids every year enter into the foster care system. It seems a bit daunting, doesn't it, right? And, and so we want to think in our minds, like, what can we do, right? We can't do everything, but we can do something. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And so today I've invited Safe Families to come and share what they do and how they can partner with our church. And they're a great organization led by some really great people. And I'm going to go ahead and ask Mackenzie to come to the platform this morning. But she's one of their, uh, one of their representatives, and she's going to come and share with you what Safe Families does and how you and I can partner with them. And so she's going to kind of share with you what, what they do, uh, who they are, how we can do something, and then we're going to see a video, and then I'm going to come back up and close this here in just a moment. Mackenzie? Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you. And before I get started, I want to share with you a quote that I heard. When we mother the broken, we meet the father of the broken. And I can be honest and share with you that my husband and I recently took in a two-year-old, and I absolutely believe that that quote has become true in our lives. Um, the last two months, my prayer life has been what it has never been before. Um, and I have an education in pastoral leadership, and I am a pastor, and I can tell you that I've never prayed as much as I have in the last two months, and I've never loved Jesus as much as I have in the last two months. And my marriage has never been stronger than it has been in the last two months. So with that being said, let me share with you a little bit about what I do. So I'm the area coordinator for Kankakee and Iroquois County. I'm not in Kankakee or Iroquois County. I get that. This is Will County, and you have a different area coordinator who couldn't be here today, but she's amazing. And so I'm in her place. Um, we work really closely together. But if you live in Kankakee or Iroquois County, then I would be your go-to person. But as the area coordinator, we call churches like you guys to action, to live out biblical hospitality through Safe Families for Children. This is a movement, a movement that started 15 years ago. And since then, it started in Chicago. We are in three different countries outside of the United States, and we're in 40 states of this, of the United States of America. 
Safe Families is moving. God is moving in Safe Families. So I'm going to read to you our mission statement. It says, Safe Families for Children hosts vulnerable children and creates extended family-like supports for desperate families through a community of devoted volunteers who are motivated by compassion to keep children safe and families intact. I don't know if you know about this, but in the Old Testament, when babies were born and they were unwanted, maybe something was wrong with them, they were kind of just tossed out. And it was believers, Christ followers, that came and grabbed those children and raised them as their own. We are being called to live out biblical hospitality like the church was called to be. And I hate to break it to you, but we're failing that calling. And Safe Families is a place for you to live out that calling. And I have some interesting, difficult news for you to hear, but most child welfare agencies, most states can only get involved, and I'm a witness to this with my little boy right now, they can only get involved when the abuse is so severe that the child is going to have damage for the rest of his or her life. They're going to suffer from what they have felt and been through. But Safe Families comes in before that abuse, hopefully. We allow moms or dads to call us with no reason other than I am in crisis, I can't handle this, and I want you to take my children before DCFS has to get involved. But we also work really closely with DCFS because they recognize that the Lord is moving. The state recognizes that the Lord is moving. When this started 15 years ago and Dr. Dave Anderson went to um, the mayor, he said, I don't know who you are, but you are crazy, and this is not going to work. We can't even get enough foster families, and we pay them. How are you going to get families that you don't pay? The church. (laughs) It is what the church is called to do and called to be. Safe Families' vision is to create a world where children are safe, and families are transformed through radical, compassionate communities. So I really appreciate the time that you have given me, not only here, but after the service, I'm going to be available to anybody. And I would also like to say that as a church, if this is something that you decide to do to become a Safe Families Church, you guys can host your own training as long as you have enough people. So as a church, pray about it. Pray about how the Lord is leading you. And if you want to be a part of this movement, then we would love to hear from you and we would love to continue this journey with you. It is people like you, it is churches like you guys that make this movement happen, that make this movement grow. So thank you so much for your time. I have brochures and some information cards in the back. I'll talk with you after the service. I think kids just innately feel if they're loved or accepted. And so I think just loving them has been the biggest thing. The idea is like, how can we really wrap around these families as a community? I liked the idea of reuniting families without all the red tape. Say family takes in a child, loves them like you would your own, and then sends them to be with mom and dad where they belong. I'm Rachel. I'm David. I'm Ella. I'm John. And we're the Hively's. Hi, my name is... <laughs> <laughs> going to be a six to nine week hosting. He needed temporary care until mom had a place. 
I called Dave and said, what do you think? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I don't know either. We saw this one email came through describing the one-year-old baby girl and her mom was in a rehab facility here in Long Beach and they needed someone to help take care of her on the weekends. Just something about it, like I just told Charlie, I was like, I think we're supposed to take in this child. I think this child needs to come into a home. We picked him up the next night, which Dave's birthday was the following day. So I said, I got you a baby for your birthday. Our life is crazy busy. We have two kids and I probably have a number of friends who would say, what are you doing taking on another thing? Being a host family, it's very vital to have what they're called family friends, which is other people who aren't necessarily able to take a child into a home but still want to help. What surprised me was, it just seemed like every time I talked to somebody, they were offering to watch him. People have brought us meals for dinner, or they brought us like boxes of formula and diapers and wipes. We have a picture of him with my daughter's soccer team soccer team. He was the team mascot. <laughs> Everybody fell in love with this little guy. One of the great things about safe families, it's whole healing for the family. The goal is always reunification, so you're kind of like helping these families stay together. Not just help take care of Hiroki, but in the end, taking care of Amy. All of these people that had loved on him and on us in some way during those four months, they were supporting her with what she needed. Hi, I'm Amy Matsushita. I'm Hiroki Matsushita's mom, and this is my safe families. One of the biggest things is the follow-up of continuing relationship, even if we're not caring for the child anymore. I mean, he is a part of our family, but you are too, and I hope Thank that you, you feel like you belong. I hope you feel like you belong. I do. You're like the best support I've had. It was really easy to talk to you about stuff, because, I don't know, I had a lot going on, and I didn't really have anyone to talk to, so I really felt like I was alone. I'm just like so thankful. I'm just so thankful that you were there the whole time. And even now, like I can come over and we can just have fun. Even if Rokia has fun. I'm just so thankful. The idea is like, how can we really wrap around these families as a community and have them be part of our church family, part of our life. In a way, you're kind of helping stop this cycle of abuse and you stop from kids continuously going in and out of foster care and you kind of invite this whole family into your family. It's really beautiful. I said we can't do everything but we can do something investing in the life of one child won't change the world but it'll change the world for that child what if in our church we had a waiting list of volunteers that wanted to serve in treat kits what if in our church every single mom or every single dad had support what if every lady with an untimely pregnancy had a church who cared or helped to find and support a loving uh, home for a child? What if instead of children waiting for a family to love them, we had families waiting for a child who needs a home? And so if it's true that the word of God calls for a response, what are you and I going to do with that? 
What are we going to do? And I think it'd be an incredible thing and an amazing thing if we could see in our church growth groups adopting a family within that group that says maybe there's a there's a there's a family in that group that says, hey, if you go with safe families, we're going to support and help you in any way that you need meals, cash, because there's going to be some some expenses up front. But we're going to, as a growth group, empower and resource you to do that. I mean, we've got seven, eight, nine growth groups in our church. Wouldn't that be crazy if we had nine, ten families today that just said, hey, I'll, I'll be a safe family. I'll provide a uh, a place of hospitality for this child to come and find the care that they need. And think about the gospel opportunity. Amen? With all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you today, if we talk about the gospel, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor Jason, I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and there's, 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 no, there's no doubt in my mind that I know Jesus Christ, and, and I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you lift your hand and let me see that today? Amen. How many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't know that my sins are forgiven or that I have a home in heaven. Would you lift your hand and let me see that hand today? Is there anyone that would be here that's like that today? Anyone at all? Now, how many of you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I want to I do something. I don't know what it is, but I feel God leaning into me today. I feel the Holy Spirit challenging me and, and calling me into something. And so would you pray for me that I would obey what God is calling me to do? Amen. I see your hand. Just lift your hands. Let me see those hands this morning. Amen. Amen and amen. Now, would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that your spirit would empower us, that it would convict us, and Lord, that we would uh, obey what your word is calling us to do. God, I can't imagine. It's so scary to think about whenever you call us out of the boat, whenever you call us into a season of uncertainty, to a land that you promised that is flowing with milk and honey, there's a journey that takes place that is frightening. And I pray, God, that we would meet our fear with faith that's found and shaped by the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that we would honor you with our lives and that we would obey your word no matter where it leads us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John's going to lead us in a song this morning.